When I was 23 years old, all anybody wanted to ask me was, what do you do for a living? And what was my response? My response was, I do awesome. I'm Steve Armato, and I started this podcast to interview awesome people who build awesome lives. So now, let's do awesome. Aaron Iceman, welcome to the show, my friend. Is This has been a long time coming, it feels like. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks thanks so much for having me on. And yeah, it is a long time coming, so I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we for background on this for everyone. We worked at Bleacher Report together, um, but in just different departments. And right. um, we we weren't really, I, I don't know if we knew each other when we were there at the same time, but then afterwards, when we both went our separate ways, we, you know, connected and just started talking. And you're someone that like, I feel like I come to and just catch up with advice, business right. and things like that. So what, um, Talk to me about the BR days because like we were there early. So let's like go back because that's kind of how you, you know, you wrote a book about the evolution of sports social media and uh, now right. you have your own social media company. So like that I feel like is where it all began. So let's like start right. there. Like how'd you get into it? Right. So um, when I came out of college, a journalism degree in 2013 from Indiana University. I'm from LA. Uh, didn't really know what to do with it. It was kind of a, you go this way is it was basically you get into uh, sports writing, and that's what I, my passion was, working for a newspaper and becoming one day the LA Times sports writer for, you know, covering the Dodgers or the Lakers or some big team. Um, and then the right side, the other the other turn, the one I took was more to work in social media. And, uh, and it wasn't really a job career path at the time. So in 2013, 2014, where I started my career, uh, worked for some small startup in New York City, went up and down really quick. But then I, uh, you know, landed a job offer in Turner Sports at Atlanta. And that was like the start of my social media career. And so working alongside guys like Shaq and Charles Barkley and Isaiah Thomas, Grand Hill, and numerous others I can name, um, great stories with all of them. It was uh, just started my career in social media and saw show, showed me I could have a career path in this because I had a good you know, ability to write and be creative. And then, yeah, and then a year contract ended there. And then they transitioned me over to Bleach Report and said, we, yeah. Turner Sports owns Bleach Report since 2012. Right. I got a job offer to go move up to New York City and be a part of uh, that first office, which was in Car near Carnegie Hall. Um, yes, or the, right. The, that office, yeah. Where, right. That was eight eight. Was that eight eight eight? That one. Yeah, that was that yeah. was that one, and that was where uh, yeah I started. I was like employee, like the fourth employee uh, in terms of like social media on the team. It was like me, Armand, and you know Drew and. and a couple others, Ryan, and they had a yeah, it was a small team. And then you know, by the time I like, by the time of like early to mid twenty sixteen, we had twenty plus people doing social media, and I was just a programmer, just posting constantly. But yeah, that's where a uh, career started. At you know, really took off at Bleacher Report, and I was spent the next two and a half years there. So you know, Bleacher Report at that time too was something that grew really quickly, and like you were you know, you were behind, you were part of the reason, like you were behind that, that team programming, all that stuff. Right. So what did you take away? Like learning, like, what did that teach you about social media and like how things grow and kind of take off? Right. Right. I, I no, I, I learned that social media is more than just an intern posting every day. Like it's more than just like, Hey, like, let me find some cool content. Let me just push on social. There's a lot more behind it that I learned that helps me today. Um, I learned that social media is branding, it's strategy, content creation, 
there's posting and com community management involved into this monetization now big money big uh, billions of dollars being sent through social media every year um there's uh you know everything from like analytics and like how the numbers work i mean it's it's really there's in-depth parts of social media that takes more than just an average person doing it off the street and that's why i think that the industry was uh initially was anyone can do it a pr person a marketing person but now there's a certain level of you need to be talented and creative and do a certain thing a certain way so that you can be successful in social media so it just taught me the foundation of how to be successful in social media and the types of people that you need to be successful and sometimes you need to be like a swiss army knife you need to be able to do like i can do copywriting but i can also do graphic design or video editing if needed i can do analytics reports um i learned a lot of that at bleach report which i'm thankful for that time yeah and like you mentioned just now um analytics which i think a lot of people don't really take into account when they look at stuff because you know they people want to post post content and i'm sure you probably do a lot of this in your business where like you have to look at the numbers and what works and then kind of right. and draft like or craft a strategy around that is that kind of what you do like talk to me about your business i know you do a lot of different things like you just said you're a swiss army knife but talk to me a little bit about how you utilize numbers to help your clients really yeah yeah no typically um you know, I, I, I wrote, I, you know, I'll talk about my book later on, but there was a chapter about content is king, which is uh, Bill Gates wrote about this like essay to Microsoft employees in 1994, 1995. And it was really like insightful on what the future of content was going to look like on the internet, on TV and other places. And now as you're seeing social media um, being very content focused and driven. Um, and then I would say content is king, analytics are queen. So whatever Bill Gates said, it's like the content is what your people are seeing and watching. The analytics will tell you the story of how it's actually performing and doing well or needs to be improved or the strategy sucks or whatever it is. So ultimately, when I work with a client, I've been doing this for four and a half years as my own social media agency. Um, we figure out that we build a foundation. The branding and strategy is like early on, like month one is like building and developing that. Then it turns into um you're doing more of the content creation and developing what the um the content should look like is it graphic design is it video editing is it funny is it animations is it all you know whatever what is it what is the content what content buckets are we hitting which is what something i learned at bleach report the content buckets um and then ultimately like yeah it's it's if the content is doing well the analytics should back it up like the numbers never lie kind of thing like the you know every i learned early on at turner sports that there's a there's a saying of this is my baseline of how something's performing i'm over overperforming underperforming based upon my average engagement per post which is a whole technical term that i love uh but it's like ultimately it just depends on like um yeah building up that strategy early on constructing that strategy executing a game plan and creating the content and then the numbers um you know, we'll tell the story and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll either help you as, as, as me, as being their client or it could hurt us, you know, cause they might see it and say, what's, you know, we want to go viral more. We want more followers. We want more of this or that. And some of it's out of our control. We can do as much as we can posting and creating the best content as possible. And some of the, uh, is in our control. So, you know, it, it just depends on the client, but ultimately we, we just have fun with it and, uh, push out as much good content as we can and keep the client happy at the end of the day. Absolutely. And is there to you, is there something that goes behind, like behind going viral? Everybody wants to go viral. 
is yeah. it is it a strategy behind it going viral or is it kind of or is it kind of like you just go viral and yeah yeah that's it no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no it's a good point um typically like it's it's knowing your audience first off like building a cadence and a algorithm with the audience so that they can kind of start seeing your content more often like you want them to sort of you know start to like your posts week after week day after day like it, some like some, some singles and doubles need to happen using a baseball okay. game. some of the singles and doubles need to happen before the home run or grand slam happens the, 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 right. the, the so like what that means is like you know, sometimes it's just got to be some good daily content that comes out that's doing well. Like I know a lot of people right now are using like the algorithm to their benefit by saying a question in the comments. People fill up the comments, they respond. That helps the algorithm for that company. Like FanDuel I see, is doing it a lot with polls now. You can do it on Instagram, other things of that nature. So um, ultimately, yeah, I think there, there's there's not, not a specific recipe, but what Bleach Report we learned is like something that is like going to stand out is doing a a funny like pop culture meme that can translate into sports or doing something that is like, um, you know, creative and outside the box thinking a Jersey swap, a face swap, a popping up Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z out of the videos, like things that are relatable to your audience specifically. Um, but something that's going to engage well and be, you're building up that momentum and hype and, you know, it could perform well and sometimes it doesn't perform well. I mean, I think you can ask people on the bleach or creative side. Sometimes they spent, money on a video that took them a week to two weeks to create and it totally you know did horrible and or didn't hit hit or didn't hit the engagement average engagement which they thought was going to get millions of views and sometimes that they took something that uh, took a day or two to make or less than that and it takes off and goes viral so it's um yeah it's part of the team behind it the creative process creating that like engaging content and hopefully the audience engages but like you know, it just depends on, you know, the time, the, the trendingness of the actual video, the, how, how it looks and feels, and is it going to stop the scroll? I mean, I learned this uh, from the interviews to people for the book is like, is it actually going to like hit somebody for the first couple seconds? And then they just watch the whole video with 10 seconds, 20 seconds or whatever long, uh, or are they going to swipe right, scroll right through it and then go to the next thing. And then they totally forget about your, your video. So, or yeah. Yeah. And like, I've heard that, is it going to, you know, is it going to stop the scroll? That's like a big, a big thing that, because really, if you think about it, what is the attention span? Like three seconds. Right. Especially, especially the young ones. So I like that, how you put that, like stopping the scroll, is it going to make them actually stop and, and pay attention? And do you, when you're, what type of clients with that, like, right. So what type of clients do you work with? Are you staying within the sports niche or have you also branched off into um, different areas, maybe some different types of businesses as well? Because right. if you're stopping the scroll for sports, it's going to be a lot different than, uh, than a small business. You right. Know? So, right. so what type exactly. of clients do you work with there? Yeah. Yeah. So typically um, I'd say we've worked with 42, 43 clients in the last four and a half years. Um, and I would say 80% of 70, 80% of in sports, but the 20 to 30% have been some non-sports clients that I've gotten through coworkers and other people that have sent people my way, or I get a LinkedIn message, say, Hey, meet my friend. I've worked, I have a law firm, uh, civil trial law firm that I've worked with for a year, really easygoing people. I just like post their news and do some thought leadership content and they absolutely love what we do for them. I have a former dog TV star, a trainer, a dog 
trainer named uh, Tia Torres. Uh, we got from a friend of ours, Roland Harrell. Oh, yeah. Shot. Um, yeah, they, they, they had charted a channel called Rabbit Reality, and I ran social for them for three, four, five months. Um, and uh, that was kind of cool because I was like, they had the content, they just sent it to me, and I'd schedule it all out and make sure it looks good on social. Um, and yeah, we've done random things. We've done doctors, apps, uh, you know, we've done you know, all, all, all kinds of different things. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's like, I, I always see there's as like six pillars of social media success. And that's kind of what I mentioned earlier, like branding, strategy, content, posting slash community management, uh, the monetization efforts, paid social, as well right. as analytics. But ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's fun to work with different clients and different, try to out different things. And sometimes it's just a matter of who the client is and how uh, if they're a good, per- good person in general is how long I want to work with them too, because it's a two way, two way street. Uh, you know, they're paying me to do a service, but I'm paying, but I'm working with them and making sure everything's running smoothly. So it's, but most, but 99% of the time we work with the right people, which is nice. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's key. Working with the right people is key to business in general and it's working with people that you want to work with. So right. like if I would have a drink with you, I'd want to work with you. That's kind of like how I feel about exactly. a, lot, a, a lot of it, you know? So now talk to me about where we're go, where where you've gone with the book, right? So the evolution right. of sports social media. You told me, you know, you started at you said earlier you started at Turner in 2012, um 2013 2014. 2013 yeah. 2014. Um yeah. so you've seen it like now we're in like 10 year, you're at like the 10 year, yeah, 11 year mark years doing this. Yeah. Doing this. So like what, talk to me a little bit about the book and talk to me a little bit about, you know, how sports social media has evolved over the last decade. Right. right. So, um, you know, I, I, well, first off, like tell, tell you about my writing history. I always wanted to write a book. It was like a goal of mine to check that box, write a book before I t- turn 30. And so two and a half years ago, I started writing this book and I, I, did the book because I looked on Amazon and I researched like sports social media books. There was all these like basic textbooks, like people that wrote one. And one is from my own motto that's like a 900 page book that says, like, what is Twitter and what is this and what is oh, that? Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I, and I saw that and I was like, there's no really, no one really wrote about like sports social media in general and like took that niche and like talked about how it's evolved over time, how social media has evolved over time with it. Um, and so I kind of did, 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 wanted to talk about it in a way an interview that I interviewed over a hundred people for the book. And I interviewed people that were, you know, key stakeholders in the industry. I mean, I interviewed people from ESPN, the Jamie Horowitz. I interviewed Lee Steinberg's in the book. Um, uh, you know, athletes like Hunter Pence and JaVale McGee and Matisse Thibel in the book. So it's like, I interviewed a lot of like cool people for the book in different ways of sports social media, but the evolution of it is like learning about the platforms early on. Like, Facebook was a big deal in 2014, 2015 still. Twitter was Twitter, not X. Now it is now. <laughs> yeah. Very like nuanced platform. It was, you can't do videos. It was just like, it would be like back in the day, like going to Chipotle with my friends. And that would be like your 140 characters or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like it was a very simple platform and it was good for live tweeting uh, games. It was like, you know, live blogging in a small format. That's what, that's what a professor told me about a long time ago about Twitter when I signed up in 2009. Um, and so seeing how things evolved. And then Vine, like to, to put it that way, Vine was a big, big deal for, I mean, I've been in 
two of the three billion loops clubs in in vine history and sports i've been a part of two of them bleach report and turner sports third one being the nba but we would like constantly be posting on vine we grab something off a snappy tv a program a tv program live tv push it on, on vine and then like tweet it out and put it other places as well so vine was a big deal so things have changed and evolved i mean there was periscope and meerkat for live live uh you know anything live you wanted to do and then facebook bought out per- periscope i believe um yep and things yep. changed i mean i launched the instagram account for nba on tnt and nba tv um i pushed the button i launched the pga social account a long time ago on instagram um so just launching those accounts in 2015 seeing what instagram could be i mean instagram was uh let's post a photo put a slap a filter on it and call it you know yeah, you know, I, I used to make a joke about it. I was like, I was like, take a photo of a trash can with some graffiti on it, put a filter behind it, and just call it urban art is the caption. And like, that's what it was. It was like using these like random filters on it. So things have evolved. The platforms have evolved. Uh, the people who use these platforms evolve. Every the consumption habits of the audience evolve. Everything changes and evolves. And the book tells that about ESPN, about Bleacher Report, about house highlights and Omar Raja, athletes, and how they've evolved in social media. It just shows the different perspectives of how things have changed over the last from 2012 till till now, pretty much. Yeah. Also, by the way, like lo-fi was the filter I used to use on, uh, yeah, on Instagram all the time, lo- lo-fi. But no, and I like what you said. I like that the book takes you through a bunch of different stages too. And like you have heavy, like you have heavy hitters in there that you've spoke, right. that you, that you interviewed, that you spoke to. And like, I even remember... When I was at Bleacher Report, like you mentioned Javal McGee, when when I was at when we I was at BR, I remember he was he went viral a bunch of times because he had yeah. the he had the um the tattoo of the mustache uh, right. on his on his finger, and I I remember that like specifically. So you know I love I love that I love that you took a niche and you you really honed in on it because like nobody's reading a nine hundred page book no, on no. on what what twitter is but sports there's so many people interested in sports and social media right. and putting them together and now i feel like now and do you see this i see athletes more now i building brands on social is this i right. i feel like i've seen this more over the last decade than i saw my whole life like yeah okay jordan built a brand right. and and tiger built a brand but now these guys are building their own brands like what do you see where do you see that going and like you're big with yeah. nil too so where do you see that going with nil and athletes in general and building brands on social yeah well it's um you know things have changed i talked to hunter pence uh from the giants former giants player the world series winner i think three-time world series winner and it was just it was fascinating fascinating because he talked about how it was taboo at first when he got into the league all the older players like why are you on social media like you don't need to be there it's like it's for like kids and like you know, not for athletes and stuff. And then he started to build a Twitter following. And then these athletes, the ones that were like against him about that started to come into him and saying like, can you help me? Like, I want to learn how to build one in mid 2010s, 2015, 2016. Yeah. So then it started to evolve uh, the evolution of, of social media. Like they, the athletes couldn't get their word out as much early on in its early 2010s. And before that, it was either they do an interview with a news, newspaper, a magazine, a radio station, that was their way of like getting out, um, you know, their their word, and and their words can get misconstrued by the by the writers who are taking their words in. So having that access to 
kind of being your almost your own media outlet where you can say your own feelings, you can break your own news, you can do whatever you want with it. It's good. And there's a lot of like power becomes with it because like I you know one of the chapters in the book is about how athletes messed up and like, you know, uh, there was the Kevin Durant with multiple burner Twitter accounts. There was the, uh, J- there was uh, Draymond Green and, um, you know, his Snapchat incidents, I'll say, that's all I'll say about that. And then there was like, um, <laughs> there was Laramie Tunsil with a bong, you know, in a photo that ran out right before the NFL draft and that got posted. So it's like, there's these stories that like, there's what a lot of power comes responsibility, whatever the quote is, um, you know, it, it, social media brings a lot of power to these, to these athletes hands and they're, they're, they're powerful figures. Some of them, I mean, they have millions of followers. They can say one thing and it could change the narrative of something. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. It's, it's a lot of power, especially a lot of influence. You know, influence just says that at that level of millions of followers have a lot of influence on their on their fans. They could say one thing or say, read this book or I hate this this person, whatever it is, and people can say, Well now I now I agree I'm on I'm on the I'm on I'm a fan of them. But you know, in terms of your second part, you know, NIL, it's like it's it's the wild, wild west. I mean, I was almost thinking about writing my next book on that because it's just totally like there's there, there could be so many under the table deals happening with like post this, I'll give you a car, um, do this for me. You get, you know, seats at the courtside seats at the Mavs game, you know, there's like, and then there's a lot of money involved. Like I think uh, Deion Sanders said he, you know, you have to spend like, I don't know, it's 20 million or something or 30 million each, each, each off season just to get the right players to come to your university. Like it's, it's, it's heavy money involved and, that's just to get the prop, the best talent. I mean, it's, um, but for NIL, for like a regular, like student athlete, they got to be aware of like the consequences with it. If they do mess up and make a mistake and they got to use it to their advantage when they, they are in college and they want to build the following. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it's crazy because like, I always felt like to me, I always felt like college athletes should get paid. Right. I always felt like they should get something. I thought they were going to come up with something along the lines of a universal stipend that they all get almost like some type of salary that they get revenue from wherever. And then they just went, just you guys go do whatever the hell you want, make money however you want. And that's it. Because I like, I played, you know, I didn't play, I didn't play like LSU or something like that. I played baseball at Sacred Heart University. It's small D1. But even at that level, right? Your job is to play sports. Like, yeah, you're supposed to go to school and stuff, but it's six days a week. Like, but like right. the sport is six days a week when you're in season practices could go up to four hours. That was like the time limit. So, and then you got to go to class and then you got to do homework. I always felt like, yeah, it's a lot. So I always felt like, all right, these kids need something. I just hated when I would see a kid like kids, you would hear about kids on like big football teams, like at like Mizzou or something like that. Yeah. He loses eligibility because a coach gave him money to go home and visit his sick mom. Like a coach gave him money for his flight, right. like stuff like that, which I never thought was right. That never sat well with me, especially with the NCAA and how they do things. But again, I always thought universal stipend is probably the way this is going to go. And now like what you're saying, it's just taking like a, a 180 do you see it changing in any way anytime soon or do you or do you think it's just going to be like this because i feel like two coaches like a coach like jim harbaugh who just mm-hmm. won a national championship yeah. when they use like 
you win a national title, you don't even need to do anything else. You could be terrible for the next like eight, 10 years and you'll yeah. still have, a, and you'll still have a job. Now a guy like that jumps to the NFL. And I feel like things like that is the reason, part of the reason for that is, is NIL. I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. I mean, winning, winning is everything in sports, right? Like you, you have multiple losing seasons as a, as a head coach, like the, even, you know, my alma mater, Indiana university, like our, our coach was great for a couple of years, won six, seven games in a row, which is good for Indiana football. Right. Yes. And like, and then like goes like last two years wins three to five games a year and he's done. They fire him and they bring in the, the James Madison coach, Kurt Signati or Signati. Yes. Um, and so it's interesting because like, you you take advantage. You level you you level up. That's what these players do in the transfer portal. You just say, "Well, I played at Oregon State. Now I'm gonna go to you know Mississippi State or like you know Florida or somewhere. Like I'm just gonna level up as much as I can. They're giving me more money. They're in a better conference than me. Um, the opportunity is just better for me to play on the field more. I'm gonna get out of here. And it's almost like almost like a job at this point. Like somebody used to tell me a long time ago, like you can. Um, you can kind of go to a job for nine months. You don't like it, go to the next one. You know, you only need nine months or a year at a job these days on your resume. And then you go to, then you just keep leveling up. Um, and that's what this feeling like with the transfer portal. I mean, you're seeing guys who are men and women who are fifth, six years in college just so they can reap as much rewards off of, off of college as they can before they go into the real world. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, NIL is, is definitely like I, I think in the future, like you're asking me, I think there's going to be some more crackdown. Um, there's got to be at some point, there's going to be some big stories that come out that are going to be like, this is super shady. Whatever happened here with this university. Yeah. Then there's going to be a 30 for 30 on that university. Um, of course. And, and all this, on this stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, I think the NCA will have, there'll be some incident, something, something big will come out at some university and um, about overpaying a player, or paying them to play or, getting hurt to play you know getting hurt and they didn't play and there's a sports betting scandal involved something's gonna happen and um that's when the ncaa is gonna say every university big university needs to have a compliance department and every deal needs to go through the compliance department or something like that i think that might will that might and will happen and people then will hate on the ncaa but it might make things just more above board and maybe that needs to happen in nil or maybe some people are just totally against that and just say free willy like let's have fun with it you know? yeah yeah i mean i guess i don't know i mean at that at some point i think something's gotta change i i don't know because like i mean i just feel like a 19 year old 20 year old kid who's a quarterback and he wants 1.5 mil to go to like nebraska instead of right. you know east tennessee state whatever it is or even going from i mean bo Nix, what do you do he went from yeah. uh he went auburn from auburn to oregon, to oregon. um I don't know. I feel like something will happen eventually. Right now, maybe not. Everybody's having way too much fun. It's like the roaring twenty. <laughs> it's like the roaring twenties right now. So right. we'll 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 see what happens there. But I want to pivot a little bit here because as someone, you know, you have your own business and I feel like in business, relationships are key. So yeah. like how important have those relationships that you've built over the years been to you in business and just life in general? Yeah, you know, I think that's a good point. One of my key quotes that I use over the years is, you know, maintain bridges. Uh, oh, no, build bridges, maintain bridges, never burn bridges. Because in sports, it's a small world. I mean, some people, someone, one guy said to me, you can always burn a bridge. But like in sports, you never know who that bridge leads to who connected to who, you know. Right. And then if you try to apply to a job at that company, 
and someone says, I know this guy that you worked for and the guy can't vouch for you or the, or the woman can't vouch for you, then you're SOL, <laughs> you know, you're exactly and, and you're left with your hands and you're like wondering, like, I, I, that was my dream job. I would have loved it, but you burned a bridge and then it affected you later on in the, in the career. So I, I've always tried to be nice to people, humble to people, like welcoming, um, transparent. Like, I think it's a way to way people should be with each other. I mean, when you backstab each other in a, in a way, like in, in sports world, and when you fire somebody or get rid of them or you lay them off, this or that, it's, it's, you know, it's tough. It's business decisions, but it also could hurt the relationship. And so for me, I've always tried to like, I, I keep on my phone, like these people that my, that my numbers that I want to keep in touch with. Like there's people that are, text them once a month once a week some people it's a once a month some people it's let's 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 talk every now and then let's just let's find time but i always have the people on my calendar that are people that are just great people to talk to message them email them text them whatever it is just try to reach out every now and then and see what's going on in their life because i can just tell you know after a couple conversations you just tell these are good people and you want to keep them in your network as close as possible and so yeah, I mean, I've tried to do that as much as possible with my business, and it's helped me out long, full, uh, long run. Because, like, out of my forty-two, forty-three clients, I would say fifteen to eighteen of them have come from people just saying, "Hey, Aaron, I'm a former coworker of yours. I got. Why don't you send them to this person?" Roland Harold said, "I'm working at this company. Why don't you do social media for us?" And so it, it happens that way. Where Friends of mine have said, you got a business. Can you help us out? Or, My friend needs help on social media. Um, and I'm willing to like at least take the call with anybody and everybody just to see if there's some connectivity between what they want to do on social and what we can help them with. And so that's just helped me grow my business is just always just be, be a good person at the end of the day and, and be welcoming to others and, and learn from others' experiences. And, uh, and the, other one, the other quote is, be a sponge. Like never, always be willing to learn from others that know more than me in the industry. I mean, you, you're amazing at the podcast industry and I'd love to pick your brain about that. But like, I, that's not something that's not my forte, but I've had to learn it to get it used to it because clients need podcast help. So, um, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, you know, be a sponge, but also build bridges, maintain bridges and don't burn bridges. Sports is a small industry and people can all see your connections through LinkedIn now. So if they yes. see somebody that you know, or you don't know, or you worked in the same company as you, they can always say good things and bad things about you to X person. And you don't want to be caught up in the middle of that and affect your job career path at all. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because we, you know, you've, and you're, you're working with him a little bit, but you've hooked, hooked me up with uh, Hani um, from, you know, Lens of Sport. And like, we've yeah. been, you know, we've had, we've had various talks about possibly working together in different things. So it's just like, it's just, you, you know, you're, you never know like who is going to help you or who's available. And it's like, you know, if something comes up, I, I feel like, you know, especially with the way you and me like know each other, I feel like if something came up and somebody needed social media, like that's not my, that's not my area of expertise. Like my area of expertise is, is content and podcasts. So if somebody came up with that, I could, I feel more than comfortable passing them to you and knowing that, you know, you're, you're just going to get the job done because also at the end of the day, you're great at what you do, but you're also a good guy. And that actually, that helps that holds to me, that holds a lot more water. Like I'll, I'll like, obviously you gotta be great at what you do, but like that holds water to me that you, Right. People that are right. great. No, and people. I, I, I had my mom on on Long Island Medium's podcast, and that's yes, super, that was super cathartic for her. So you got her on that podcast, and she like 
touch base with her father and you know and like there was like things about like a red car which the red mustang and in my my grandfather who i never met is his past was like really cool to like learn about in there so yeah and then i'll send people your way yeah like you said you're a good person it's it's you do great at what you do with the podcast world and i tell people hey if you don't need my help maybe you know someone who does and you can refer them over to me and i'm happy to give you a referral fee or we could just keep going back and forth and send people each other's ways and if you're a production agency, a production company, or a PR firm, or anyone else, feel free to white label my services. Just say we have a social media people in-house or a partnership with somebody. Charge them what you like, and as long as I'm, you know, getting paid, I'm happy, and my and my employees are getting paid. Um, that's all that matters to me is everyone's happy, um, and everyone doesn't feel left out of the project that we're doing as well. There you go. See, you you already you just sold yourself right there. People are gonna hear that and just start start contacting you now. No. I love that. I love <laughs> so that. Let's, I love the exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about this real quick. Um I know I'm running a little over on time, but we what we're I you know, we're having a great combo here. Um yeah. here's what I wanna know too. Do you have mentors and are they is that something that you've looked at and are important to you? Um what's what's your uh, outlook on mentors? Yeah, you know, I love I love mentors. I think um I try to keep in touch with them every now and then. Some some are busier than others. Uh, I, I think it's you know good to have like a consistent one, and then have ones that were in your past that help you in your career that you can reach out to and they they'll answer your call. Um, you know, there's uh, someone like Morgan Dewan who was uh, my first director of social at Turner Sports. But just every now and then, just like we reach out to her and just say, "Hey, is how's it going?" Because now she's a top ranked boxing and like VP of brand or VP of content. She's got some high high title there. And so someone like that, just, how's it going? Like, how's your life? How's everything? I've got some questions, you know, like, let's talk 20 minutes, you know, every couple months or six months or whatever it is. And that's great. I, I used to use a guy, Peter Scott, who's um, chief strategy officer at Play Anywhere, which he used to work at Turner Sports as well. And, I, and when I was at Turner Sports, I would just go into his office and just ask him questions about the, his job was to think about like the future of technology and sports and all that stuff. It was so cool to me. And um, I got to pick his brain a lot. And I still do, and he's one of my clients now because I, I, I became—I was like used—I used him as like a mentor in 2013, 2014. I reached out to him like last year, two years ago, and just caught up. And next thing you know, he's a client of mine now. Um, so yeah, and there's people who have better experience than I have. The sponge mentality—I like to call it—I wrote in my book is like to be able to learn from others. You're not the smartest person in the room. It's very cliche. You're not the you know, this or that, you might be talented and skill set and something that other people aren't in the room. Um, but you're always, you should always be willing to learn from others around you. And so I've learned from other agency owners how to run an agency well. I've learned from uh, marketing professionals and social media have more experience than me how to like run uh, their, their team and their staff a certain way so that they're getting the best results. So it's always good to have mentors around you, pick your brain for people around you and people that just willing to talk every now and then. They don't have to be a weekly conversation or whatever or be on your board, uh, but they can be someone you can rely on when you do have the 10 questions that you want to get out and you want someone to talk to. That person's reliable and there for you, which is nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as somebody who works in social media a lot, um, basically that's your that's your job, that's your life, that's your business. Do you take, how do you take, do you take time to disconnect from technology a bit and if you do how do you do that yeah you have to honestly it's it's like 
um, I'm a big travel person. Um, like I, I grew up watching the show Amazing Race, which I think is still on. It's been going for like 34 seasons, 35 seasons, I think now. And I even had my Amazing Race birthday party when I was 18 years old. We had 14 nice. of four traveling around Los Angeles doing all kinds of activities. So that was really cool. So traveling for me has always been a like, uh, you know, way to express my need for getting out there and exploring new cultures and seeing new people. And luckily, I, I mean, I've been blessed and fortunate enough to travel to 22, 23 countries all over the world. And that's because I studied abroad in Barcelona. I travel all over Europe. Um, I go to Asia um, and I'll be in Thailand or Vietnam or other places all over the world, learn new cultures. So, and how do you unplug? You go to a place where there's a beach or uh, you can get a Mai Tai or, you know, whatever drink you want. Like just chill, turn off the phone, tell your work, put, put the work email that you're going to be on this break. Have people around you, like I have people on the operations side or the social media management side that can handle some accounts for me, and I don't have to worry, you know, what's going on unless there's mm -hmm. an emergency, of course. But like, ultimately, like you gotta log off, you gotta like tune out the because if you get too invested in your phone, you're losing the time that you should spend with your loved ones and doing your time that you should rethink about things and think long term. And that's what I do when I'm, you know, when I'm with my family, we think long-term picture, we, we turn off the phone, we have a nice dinner, we, um, we have good conversation. And, and uh, I think that's sometimes lost in today's world. So if you can turn off your phone and just talk to someone for an hour or, or be with your loved ones for a week and not have to look at your phone every five seconds, then you're doing something right. And that's going to you know, propel you long-term and just give you better results uh, late, later on in life. And that's helped me out is every now and then take that hiatus of a week or a couple of days, travel somewhere, go somewhere new, meet some new people and uh, get a brain refresh every now and then. It's not a bad idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes, travel, I feel like travel's a must. So, you know, yeah. I, I lo love that. So what is, what does living an awesome life look like to you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, awesome life is just, you know, surrounding yourself with great people. Um, you know, you, I, I think people get caught up with, and I, I've always said, I want to build myself a digital legacy, not just a legacy. I want to leave something behind for my kids to know me more than just, you know, I think there was a Macklemore quote that says you want to people to know you, your name shouldn't just die when you go in the grave. People, you're dying, your name dies when people stop saying your name. And I think he said that in a song and I just, I thought it was powerful because it's like, I want people to just keep talking about me and talk about the things I did and the impacts I made on the world because it's, you know, the money will dry up when you're dead and, and it's on to right. it's on to your relatives, but the name of what you did and the impact you had on this world, you know, won't hopefully. And if, if you did enough philanthropy, if you did enough giving back to the world, um, my mom will love that I was saying this, but like in Jewish culture, there's a thing called tikkun olam, which is repairing the world. And for us to repair the world is to help people around us. We come from privileged environments. Help people that are in need in your local community or city or village or wherever you're from. Um, give back, help people make an impact. And doing awesome is just doing, you know, treating yourself right and making sure you're respecting yourself and your your time and your energy and, and taking care of you, whatever, you know, there's the, there's from uh, Parks and Recreation, treat yourself. You can always have a treat yourself day. I think that's not a bad idea, but there's always days you can do to give back to the people around you and to make an impact. Um, so that's, that's to me is doing awesome is to get some fulfillment, you know, and excitement and, and reward 
inside from doing something of giving back. It could be opening up a door for somebody. It could be pushing the elevator door open while someone's running at it. You know, it could be anything like it, but it's at least just making steps to show, show the world that you're a good person. You, you can do good in this world and um, good things will happen to good people. Hopefully karma will work out for you as long as you help putting good and word, good, good into this world. Uh, they'll help long fold in, in, in the long run as well. I love that, man. That was beautifully, beautifully said. And and now this is this is the big one. What's your go-to karaoke song? Yeah, honestly, that's that's a good one. Honestly, if it's for me, <laughs> and this this catch me off track. Uh, to me, it's it. I I love I love songs from Weezer. I like um, okay, I, Island in the Sun or Island by the Sun. I forgot it's the the song, but I lo- I love like. Uh, just I, I saw I've seen Weezer a few times, and I think they just got great catchy melodies, and it's like it's a fun song to sing. Um, and and to me, if I'm singing if I'm singing to my wife in karaoke, it's anything Ed Sheeran related. So it's like that's fair. like perfect, perfect thinking out loud. Um, you know th- that that type of genre is like I, I just love Ed Sheeran. So for my wife, it's Ed Sheeran. For everyone else, it might be Weezer or something like alternative rock. I like that though. That's good. That's a good. That's a good call out right there because it's totally different from like a big crowd and your wife. You know, it's a different right. story. So I, I like where you went with that. Now let everybody know how they can find you and where the best place to find you is. Yeah, you know, uh, first off, uh, you know, find me anywhere. I'm on Instagram, social media, A Siegelisman, A S I E G A L E I S M N. But you, you probably tag me in there. But if you want to find me professionally, uh, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm constantly posting, constantly interacting with people. Uh, Aaron Eisman, you can find me. And my company's Eisman Digital Consulting. So find me there as well. Give us a follow. And then at Eisman Digital anywhere, E-I-S-M-A-N uh, Digital is we're on you know Twitter or X. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, and everything else of the above. And to, for two, two final things, like, Hey, if you want to buy my book, it's on Amazon, Evolution of Sports Social Media. Uh, we sold over 400 copies in two years, and it's being used at five universities. So, you know, just a little little humble brag there. there but like, I like that. Get the book and, um, you know, happy to, if you send it to me, I'll sign it for you. And, um, you know, leave me a good Amazon review. And then finally, just if you need help on social media, reach out to us, eismandigital.com. Um, just revamp the website so it looks really good. And uh, hopefully, whether you're sports or non-sports and you need social media help, you can come to us and we'll, we'll be there to support you guys on social. Absolutely, man. Aaron, thank you for coming on the show today. And also, congratulations. You are a, you'll be a dad any day now. So yeah, uh, when this can, podcast comes out, maybe I'll probably be a dad by then. So I'm excited. Um, he, he, you know, it's, it's going to be coming next week. So we're, we're very uh, looking forward to it. There you go. You might be a dad like on the day this releases. So we are going to, we are going to see, but man, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your story. I, uh, I really appreciate the time and you know, everybody else, thank you for listening. You guys have been awesome. We continue to grow this thing every single week and uh, we will see you on Tuesday.